Thought Bubble Audio. Hi, I'm Kirsty. And I'm Kelsey. And it's time to hate watch with us. Welcome. (laughs) Oh, how the mighty have fallen. Welcome. (laughs) Welcome to what, Kelsey? (laughs) Welcome to our variety show for sarcastic people. There it is. I got there. There it is. (laughs) My bad. We're so glad you're here. (laughs) So glad. It took us a while to get here, so we're glad you're here. We are. Kirstie, I heard that we're celebrating a major holiday today. It is one of the most critical hate watch holidays of the year, folks. We have been working up to this for longer than hate watch has been in development. This is a big moment. The holiday we are celebrating is Columbus Day. Columbus Day! But not regular Columbus Day. No, no, it's no. Chris Columbus Day. <laughs> and you may be thinking. Obviously, it's Chris Columbus Day. I knew that. But did you know that what we really mean is questionable film director Chris Columbus Day? (laughs) I knew. I knew that. You did know that. I knew that. (laughs) How long do you think we've been celebrating Chris Columbus Day? Oh, Lord. We have probably been celebrating Columbus Day since... Since late college. Yeah, so we've been probably, like, like seven years? Yeah, a good long time. A good long time. Good, good long time. And it all started because we are both fans of Harry Potter. And I imagine, I don't remember the exact moment, but I would imagine that at some point there was a conversation about favorite movies, and I may or may not have expressed fondness for the first couple of movies and i'm not saying they're my favorites i'm just saying i like them uh which may or may not have sent kelsey into a rage (laughs) i don't know what you're talking about if i had to put money on how this all came to be that would be my best bet for origin story because if anyone knows anything about me it's that nothing (laughs) will trigger me quicker than anyone suggesting that the first two harry potter movies are worth shit like straight like hashtag triggered like y'all make sure you tag your triggers (laughs) like i get a little sensitive if anyone suggests any harry potter movie besides the prisoner of azkaban is valid but like, we seriously need to do a debate club on the merits of this because I'm not with you. I'm not with you on this one. I'm already getting worked up. I know. <laughs> I can feel it. <laughs> it's like, if you imagine that our microphones are actually tin cans. <laughs> I'm just sitting here in my hell closet with my bread. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe the yeast will feed off of the energies of your hatred. <laughs> 
<laughs> my rage is making it warmer though, so I think it'll <laughs> rise faster. <laughs> Gonna get an overproof bread. Oh no, I don't have. I don't want that. Kelsey's proofing a bread starter in her hell closet <laughs> while we record this episode. <laughs> Ask me anything. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't seem that weird when I did it. <laughs> but then I told the 80 people listening to this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, no, it's weird. Lordy. Okay. Well, so that's the origin story behind Chris Columbus Day, coming full circle with bread starters. So, our plan for this momentous celebration is to spend some A-segment-like time talking about Harry Potter and his contribution to the franchise, and some B-segment-type time to another film in the Chris Columbus canon. And this year, for Columbus Day 2017, we chose Home Alone. We did. I was like, I have no time to watch these movies, so we're going to pick one that I know. (laughs) (laughs) Spoiler alert, I hate Home Alone so much. I don't have that so. much hate for Home Alone. Oh my god, it's I hate it. I saw it for the first time as an adult. I saw it last year for the first time. Oh, dear god. You sound surprised, like as if I've ever seen a single movie. But, uh, I guess. Right? Like, yeah. Sure. Uh-huh. Sure. Alright, why don't we start with Harry Potter? I'm ready. Great, because I know that we're going to start with Harry Potter, but I don't know where we're going to (laughs) start. Let's start with the fact that Warner Brothers decided they were going to make Harry Potter movies. And they looked around the world of filmmakers and said, Manchild who makes weird children's movies? Question mark. (laughs) You are the person. To bring Harry Potter to life. Well, because they needed a director who knew how to work with inexperienced children, since they had a cast literally built on inexperienced children. Literally built on naive newborn babies. Quite literally. (laughs) (laughs) And yet also experienced professionals. Like, there's nothing in between. It's like, are you a newborn baby or are you like... A 75-year-old British legendary, like, knighted actor. (laughs) Well, you know, it's like job skills training. Sure. Sure. But you know who doesn't have job skills? (laughs) Chris fucking Columbus. Chris Columbus. Speaking of naive newborn babies. And he, I don't know that his Americanness ruined it, but it didn't Mm -hmm, help. mm -hmm, mm Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I went back and watched the first, like, two-thirds of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone tonight, and I was taking notes, and the lens I used for my notes tonight was Greatest Sins, and that was one of the things that I wrote down was, like, he, it's truly, like, the Americanization of Britishness. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, One of my least favorite scenes of that movie is right when Harry gets his first Hogwarts letter and he walks into the kitchen with the rest of the mail and gives um, Uncle Vernon the mail and he gets a postcard and he's like, oh, Aunt Marge is ill and and says dumb British words that sound fake. 
I'm 95% sure that they were because that whole fucking movie is littered with British people doing and saying things that are like, like what an eight year old thinks British people do and say. (laughs) My greatest sin from these movies is I'm just working on the fly because I'm going no notes today Mm. is that Chris Columbus insisted on giving his daughter a speaking role. Does she actually speak? I I don't know. I just know her dumb face. I don't think she does. Oh, she irritates me to no end. Because her, her cameo is as Susan Bones, and she gets sorted, but I don't think she ever gets a line. Oh, yeah. You're right. You're right. You're right. Yeah. She may have a line in the second movie, though. Maybe. I don't feel as confident about that, but maybe. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. But either way, she sucks. I have no patience <laughs> for people who bring their kids to work and are like, you get to do things now and inconvenience everyone else. And I 100% believe that's what Chris Columbus did. Oh, no, it's true. If you, I don't know if I can pull it up fast enough, but if you look at his Wikipedia, there is a category where they talk about all the cameos. Let's see. Many of Columbus's family members, (laughs) including his children, his wife, his mother, his father-in-law, and his cousin have appeared in cameo roles in his films. Particularly, his own daughter, Eleanor, portrayed the Hogwarts student's student, Susan Bones, in the first two Harry Potter movies. And then Wikipedia says citation needed, and it's like, the citation is the fucking movie. Right. Sit the fuck down, Wikipedia. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God, that's so irritating to me. (laughs) Uh, If you have any doubt that this is a strongly held conviction for Kelsey, please go back to any of our old episodes where we discuss Matt Wiener Weiner. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) You're right. Because this comes up frequently with his son, Glenn, whose name is not actually Glenn, but you don't know that. (laughs) Anyway. I watched, like, 20 minutes of this movie tonight, and I couldn't take it anymore, but (laughs) the one thing that's particularly irritating about the Chris Columbus era of Harry Potter is how much he just lays on the goddamn soundtrack. Yep. Like, we get it. It's magic. We don't need, like, woo, like, fucking flutes everywhere. Well, and not only does he lean on the soundtrack, but there are only two melody lines. Right. There's the A melody, which is the I'm Harry Potter melody that plays anytime Harry Potter is on screen being Harry Potter. Yep. And then there is the B melody, which is what I have called the sexy getting ready song of establishing shots. <laughs> yeah. So it's the song that, or the melody that plays when they go to Diagon Alley for the first time, when they go to Hogwarts for the first time, when they walk into the Great Hall, when they play Quidditch for the first time. I can hear it in my head right now. Yeah, you can. Well, because that's also the stinger that ABC uses on ABC Family at Christmas time when they play Sorcerer's Stone on loop for like three weeks. Kirsty, ABC Family's dead. I well, I don't like calling it free form. <laughs> Just wanted to clarify that we aren't making this podcast in 2014. <laughs> it, no, this is active rebellion. 
All right. I'm boycotting ABC's terrible branding choices. Anyway. <laughs> Including the fact that they continue to insist year after year that Sorcerer's Stone is a Christmas movie because there's one fucking scene where Chris Columbus went to the fucking nines with goddamn white Christmas trees in the Great Hall of fucking Hogwarts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a life choice. <laughs> I, I actually have a lot of feelings about those Christmas trees in particular. Wait. Hold that thought. Sure. Because I still want to get in my point about oh, the soundtrack. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> and we can talk about Christmas trees. Um, I think I blame him because it's so fucking lazy. Because mm-hmm. he didn't want to take the time to add in the diegetic sound that there should be in yep. those scenes. Especially when there's like fancy fucking CGI from 2001. Or whenever this movie made was made. Right. So instead of doing that, he just cut corners and was like, oh, I'm just going to put this t- one track over and over and over again. And I'm not buying it. Do your job, Chris Columbus. Well, what's amazing about it is that Warner Brothers was pouring money into this. It's not like they had a limited budget. Right. This was like a BFD for Warner Brothers. And so he had like access to a very large important orchestra i can't remember which one but i remember watching a special about it when the movie first came out he had access to some important writer composer they're called in music sure the same one who did star wars kirstie let's cross over real quick (laughs) yes see very important and what does he choose to do with the talent that he's given just ruin it for the rest of us because i feel like every other movie that followed couldn't even use the soundtrack because it was so overused right well everyone tried right like everyone had different iterations of the i'm harry potter melody yeah because they had to like what's interesting about chris columbus's version of the adaptations is that there were elements of it that were iconic enough that none of the other directors that followed were able to fully get away from it. Like what? The Great Hall? The Great Hall, a lot of the styling of Hogwarts, that particular part of the score, the Hogwarts Express, like, particular set pieces. Uh I don't know. Like, I think Dave Yates probably did the most out of all of them to, like, blow up the formula that Chris Columbus had put together. In, like, the final movies? Yeah. Well, the last couple. But he was there from the get-go. Right. But he wasn't a director until the last few. Sure, he watched enough people fuck around with him that he was like, huh, I can do this too. Yeah, exactly. Oh, <laughs> That's Jesus literally Christ. how that happened. <laughs> I'm getting so angry. <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> the other thing, though, is that source material like matters a little bit in this context and like look it's gonna sound for a second here like i'm i'm speaking in defense of chris columbus and i just want to clarify that i'm not 100 percent sure that that's exactly what i'm doing so much as i'm stating a pure fact and that that fact has implications for dave yates as much as it did for chris columbus so it's not actually in defense of anyone it's just sort of like how life happened um but like i think dave yates had easier source material to work with in terms of like stylizing an adaptation of his own and like blowing up formula and like being artsy and doing whatever whereas the first couple of books were written for a much younger audience than the books were by the time they got to book seven 
like JK Rowling grew the story with her audience. So he was working with like a much more simplistic text, a much more childish storyline. And at the time that they were making this adaptation, like directors and producers were not given the same latitude to fuck with adaptations that they are now because it was still like pretty revolutionary. And especially with Harry Potter, it was such a big fucking deal because the books had become such a big deal by that time that I think he was given a mandate to basically copy the books. But he wasn't given a mandate to make them like a Disney version of it. But I also understand why that was like the interpretation they decided on. Because it's well, like the because most they mainstream hired Chris version. Columbus. Well, right. But like they were going for something mainstream. <sighs> they were looking for a rote adaptation and they got one. Uh, it's just so bad. And he, he did have rich material in terms of world building that he could have done for sure. things with. And instead he was like, you are a wizard. Look at this magic. Well, I These think bricks he... are going to move now. <laughs> I think he was writing it for the people who read the books and not for the sake of the movie itself, if that makes sense. So like... Every the scenes all reminded me actually very much of playing a video game where it's like just enough world building and exposition so that you know what your mission is going to be for that stage until you get to the boss. Right. They're like, you need um, to buy books and a wand and an owl. And then you go and you visit the wand shop. And you pick Oh look, it's the third one you try is the right out. one. That soundtrack just came on right at the right time. <laughs> yeah so like that is hugely problematic it's like complete bullshit and you know i feel like i'm very self-conscious of this in a time of george r r martin because it's like you don't want to go too far the other way and get bogged down in the world building no that happens in the sixth movie seventh that, movie seven and a half i don't know somewhere in that the zone. one where they go camping yeah <laughs> Although, going back to source material, I give Dave Yates credit because having to get through 700 pages of camping is a very different story than having to get through an entire movie of camping. I will take the movie version of camping any day over the fucking first 700 pages of the seventh book. I actually didn't read the seventh book. It took me a year and a half to get through the seventh book. It doesn't seem worth it. It, and I've reread it now probably five or six times, and it is worth it, but it's tough. That first reread, or the first read and the first reread were the hardest. I bet I could audiobook it, them. You could. I don't like Harry Potter as an audiobook. Listen, there's a lot of, some of us don't have a choice when it gets we listen really to fucking anything weird, that we can though. find on the Boston Public Library audiobooks. <laughs> It gets real fucking weird in audiobook form. Does it get weirder than anything that Chris Columbus did? Well, nothing could. Right. <laughs> One other thing, as long as we're talking about, like, his failure to do a reasonable job of anything. <laughs> um, I mean, I have I have nine nine greatest sins basically okay but one thing that i noticed was true in home alone as well but drove me particularly crazy in harry potter is that he can't figure out how to direct a scene so that there's any amount of flow or chemistry no 
So there are just endless awkward silences and pauses. It's almost like you can see the the direction in the script where it's like, character A will say a line and character B will interrupt. It's almost like... It's almost like a sitcom in a bad way. <laughs> like, you can so see, like, here's this one camera, here's this other camera, you say your line. Okay, yep. cut. And then you start and then you stop your like. Yep. It's so, like, segmented. You can see it in their body language, too. Like, if there's, if someone has to, like, reach out for something or someone has to start walking or whatever, you can see them wait until, like, the word in the script. Yeah. When they do whatever the blocking is. It's atrocious. There, it's it's absurd. It's like that, in my mind, should be the, like, I don't know much about acting or directing, I guess. But that seems like the most basic part of the job. Right. It's like the believability thing. Right. I don't know. In terms of choices that he got to make in adapting the source material, one thing that really fucking pisses me off to this day is that he chose to have the sorting hat talk out loud. Was it not supposed to? It was not supposed to. You hear the sorting hat in your head. And so that whole conversation between Harry and the sorting hat about whether or not he belongs in Slytherin was only happening in Harry's ear, basically. Like, the sorting hat, like, talks to you personally. Oh. So it yells out what house you're in. But it's not telling everybody what you're saying. So no one else knew that Harry was almost put in Slytherin. The Sorting Hat's the only other one. And so is it book three where he goes to Dumbledore's office and has a conversation with the Sorting Hat about it? Or is that book four? It's one of those. Somewhere in the middle, he goes to Dumbledore's office for something unrelated and the Sorting Hat's there. And he talks to the Sorting Hat about how to almost put him in Slytherin. And part of that conversation is from the fact that no one knows that this all happened. Harry and the Hat are the only ones who know. And that drives home the point that him being in Gryffindor was a choice, which means that him being a good person was a choice. So it's symbolically important to the outcome of the entire text. Bam. Boom. And he went and fucked it up. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. <laughs> like, I like I guess it must have been a difficult choice because it's like, how do you portray that it's only talking to the individual? But he still did it wrong. Like, just show Harry looking like he's thinking about something on his head and then it's fine. Yeah. I, there, there would have been a way to do it. He just didn't fucking think about it. Just no. Think. He was just like, what if we CGI'd a hat? What if this hat had a mouth? That'd be cool. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And my other other complaint in terms of adaptation is that he made the Hogwarts Express look like Thomas the Tank Engine. Uh Mm Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he did. Yeah. And then our lord and savior, Alfonso, came in (laughs) to save the day. Save the franchise. I actually do believe that that saved the franchise. I don't think you're wrong. But Alfonso was not my favorite director. Oh, God. How? I'm sorry. Wait, I'm going to step on the pedestal for one minute. Okay. All right. Because you can't tell me that any director after Alfonso was 
necessarily better because he's the one who set the tone for all of the following movies. No one else strayed very far from the tone that he set once he blew it up for the third movie. So by saying that any of those guys are better, you also have to like caveat Alfonso in there because he did all the hard work. No, I think that's absolutely fair. And I don't know that I would say that I think any of them are necessarily better. Like, the Harry Potter movies hold up, and I love them, and they're classics, and I watch them all the time, and, like, there are elements of all of them that are good filmmaking, other than the fact that I just love the source material. So I just want to lay that all out there so it doesn't sound like I'm hating on Harry Potter, because don't at me. But... I, I'm not sure that I feel like any of the directors really did justice to what that adaptation could have been. And I'm sure like 20 years from now, we'll get a reboot and someone will do it all again. Oh, I don't want that. I guarantee it's coming. Um, <sighs> but like the first adaptation was really the, the chance for someone, some entity to get it right. Like that is the pure adaptation and like don't at me i'm not interested in having an argument about adaptations but um so i feel like all the directors like disappointed me to some extent my thing with alfonso is mostly that it's like personal it's all subjective um he was just a little extra for me fair there's just some of some of his like stylistic choices were just a little too extra for me and like sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't I think he wanted to get as far away from the mess Chris Columbus made that he could. He did. I'm not convinced, though, that it that it's any less silly than Chris Columbus's interpretation of it at times, though. Like, In what way? He's so extra sometimes that it still comes across as, like, silly. Like, give me an example. I didn't prep for this debate. My notes would have been different if I knew we were going to get into it. You knew this was the debate. This is always the debate. <laughs> No, this debate is going to get its own fucking episode at some point, girl. Oh, God. Like, so so there are a few different things that Alfonso did that bugged me. But the the thing in particular is, like, he... Fuck, I'm trying to do this all from a mental image. He does these, like, really crazy camera angles, like, zooming into people's faces that are all, like, yep, crooked yep. and shit. Yeah. And it, like, takes me out of the moment because it's so stylized. Fair enough. It's like, I'm no longer watching the source material. I'm now watching whatever the fuck Alfonso's trying to do with the camera. Sure. And, like, to me, that's just as silly and ridiculous and hard to watch and, like, awkward as, like, too many awkward exchanges because Chris Columbus didn't teach actors how to talk to each other or the Hogwarts Express looking like Thomas the Tank Engine. Yeah. I mean, I think... Alfonso did, uh, speaking of people being awkward with each other, he's the <laughs> one who actually f forced those small children to get some sort of acting lessons. Yes. Yeah. I thank God for it. And, like, made them work with, like, mentor people. Yeah. I do blame Chris Columbus for installing the cornerstone of the Dan Rad School of Acting, which is grimacing and gasping. Yep. Yep. He didn't yeah. grow out of those. No. Nope. <laughs> not once, not never. They're not great. <laughs> and the other thing that he ended up doing that's like more minor but was just a life choice 
was like in allowing them to wear normal human clothes. Oh, Alfonso? Yeah. I feel like that was a big one that all of a sudden it was like, oh, this isn't like a weird... He tried to toe the line a little bit more between reality and fantasy, I think, than yeah. Chris Columbus did, where he was like, this is a magical land. No, I think that that's fair. And that was that was one of those things that I feel like evolved with the book. So like, as the books go on, you no longer get the Sorting Hat doing a different Hogwarts song for the start of the year, and you don't hear about their witches' hats anymore, and it stops being, like, so whimsical. Yeah. So that was one of those things that evolved fairly. Like, I argue with people about this all the time because I actually really like Michael Gambon as Dumbledore. Dumbledore. Damn it, Dumbledore. (laughs) The fuck? As Dumbledore. And a lot of other people don't because they think he's, like, too harsh and too energetic and, like, not whimsical enough. Yeah. But for the Dumbledore of the later parts of the books, he was, like, a necessary type of Dumbledore. You feel? And so I feel like... Yeah. yeah. I feel like Alfonso did sort of open... No, I don't want to say that. Um, he <laughs> He did create the opportunity to start doing some of these evolving things with, like, characters and imagery so that they could change as the books got darker and less fantastical. Yeah, agreed. It's like, I give him props. I don't think he did a bad job. I'm just not... He is not my lord and savior the way he is for many other people in the fandom. Well, I found a think piece that ranked him as the best Harry Potter director, so I feel validated. (laughs) You are allowed to have that take. Thank you. (laughs) The other thing I don't forgive Chris Columbus for is leaving Peeves out. And the only reason I feel this is it's from a pure place of stubbornness because of the argument that Chris Columbus chose for why they left Peeves out, which was that he didn't feel that they could get the visual effects with Peeves to the place that they wanted it. And yet they bothered to have the rest of the ghosts arriving in the opening scene in the Great Hall, which is some of the worst visual effects, maybe in all of history. That's correct. Unclear. But like, I guess they had to introduce the ghosts at some point because there are things you can't leave out of the rest of the series. Mm -hmm. But like, they just like pick a different argument, I guess. Yeah. Again, I'm going to use Prisoner of Azkaban as the example to... Chris Columbus era because chronologically it works. Right. Why did it, in the span of, what, four years, could they jump from having the world's shittiest CGI to having pretty fair CGI in Azkaban? Like, Chris Columbus, again, taking the easy road and phoning it in. I remember watching the original movie in its time and thinking the CGI was bad. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, You know how people always joke when they watch movies with CGI of a certain era about how it looked state-of-the-art at the time and it looked believable at the time? Harry Potter did not. It did not. I was, as like a 12-year-old or however the fuck old I was when that movie came out, I was not buying it. Nope. I actually had Sorcerer's Stone on VHS originally. I think I had two copies of the DVD and I don't know why. I also had two copies of one of the DVDs. I can't remember which one. When I did take it out today, though, I noticed it was one of those nifty two-pack ones that had the widescreen movie on one disc and then the bonus features on a oh, separate yeah. disc. 
Yeah, remember that time. That was a time. DVDs were so quaint. They were. <laughs> it's an under underappreciated time in cinema. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was it was bad. Like there was some PC game at the time that my friend and I would play after school, and it had a Quidditch level of some sort. And I remember playing it at her house after school and then going home and popping in the DVD and watching that scene and thinking that it was the exact CGI. That's not a good thing. Like, they just copied it over. No, it's not a good thing. That's not how you want it. Yikes. And for what it's worth, I think at times, Lego Harry Potter the video game did a better job of storytelling than Chris Columbus did. Oh, shit. (laughs) Oh, sick gnarly burn. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so do you feel like we've aired our grievances about harry potter chris columbus enough for yeah, we've, this year <laughs> we've covered a lot of ground i am looking forward to next year though oh yeah we'll be back at it again it's pretty yeah. much one of my favorite ongoing great <laughs> harry potter will stay one of the segments of columbus day celebration every year so yeah you know we're just gonna rehash this exact conversation year after year (laughs) but now you guys have the heads up so you can mark your calendar for the last week of september to make sure that you watch sorcerer's stone and chamber of secrets and then next year we'll come back and we'll all talk about it right so what's that other chris columbus you watched we had to watch like the worst thing that ever happened to the 90s it's not that it's, bad. It's it's a terrible movie. We had to watch Home Alone, which is a stupid fucking movie with Macaulay Culkin, and it's like the movie that made him famous or some shit, and he just screams a lot, and it's dumb, and it's like peak Chris Columbus. It is dumb, and it is peak Chris Columbus. <laughs> it's like his dream film. Yeah. He, he was only a guy who could do one. <laughs> True. True that. (laughs) Oh my god. So why do you hate Home Alone so much? It's just like a dumb movie. It's stupid. I I don't have anything more articulate than that. It's just like dumb and like why why does this kid's uncle call him a jerk at dinner? Like no one talks to a kid like that. And, like, because Chris Columbus is a bad director, it's not like he even made the argument that it was, like, not actually how the adults were speaking, but it was, like, affected because that's how the kid's interpreting it. He's not smart enough to get that across, so if that's what you're going for, Chris Columbus, you're full of shit. And so, like, then he ends up being a sadistic monster who's, like, and then we have to, like, watch these burglars get, like, third-degree burns on their faces and their dicks, and, like, I'm sorry, but I'm not interested in watching you tar and feather a grown man just because you're some asshole kid who got left home from France over Christmas. I mean, the real questions in the Home Alone narrative are <laughs> the, it's mostly the financial situation of his family and oh, also Buck Wild. And also just like how he can be forgotten. Yeah. Like, that's still not totally clear to me. It's a really fun experiment in premise setting. Like, I feel like I've complained about premise setting on this show before. But they have to reach really fucking hard to set this premise. Yeah, they do. You really have to just buy in. Like, they literally they literally ship in a random kid from nowhere to talk to a van driver so that he can be miscounted. 
Yep. So um, there might be someone out there who's never seen this movie. I don't know. But basically there's a kid and like he's got 25 family members and they're all going to France for Christmas. Like you do. Like you do. And so they're running around the house getting ready and a burglar dressed up as a cop is casing the joint just standing in the house trying to figure out when they're all going to leave. And Kevin, who's the kid apparently like always causes trouble in his family which like to me that was the most transparent part of the plot because he was probably the least obnoxious child in the household and yet every adult in the house is trying to sell it like he's the one always fucking shit up look what you did you little jerk what the fuck was that line what the (laughs) fuck (laughs) we always tell that to um my boyfriend's little brother because his name is kevin that's amazing i'll allow that So yeah, so he fucks some stuff up at dinner and his mom gets mad at him and makes him go sleep in the attic. And then the power goes out overnight and they're supposed to be up early to go to the airport to go to France. And so they oversleep. And so they're all running around. And while they're all running around, a small child goes and walks up to the airport shuttle drivers and just starts hanging out with them. And so the family comes out to get in the vans and the older sister is counting heads and miscounts this other kid. And so she comes up with the right number of people, and then they're running so fast through the airport. And then apparently all of the parents had, like, first class or business class tickets, so they weren't sitting in economy with the rest of the kids. Right. (laughs) Which is amazing. Yeah, like, (laughs) sure. They've got, like, 14 kids sitting in the back of the plane while they're up front, like, drinking champagne. In fairness, they filled, like, half the plane. It's true. (laughs) It's true. Like, where are they going to (laughs) go? Fair enough. So so that's that's all of the logic that it took for them to not notice that they made it all the way to France without their kid. Right. So he ends up alone for like four days and these burglars keep trying to break in and keep realizing that someone's home and then they're finally like, we're just going to trick this kid. But in the meantime, Kevin learns some life lessons and becomes very mature and also decides to create a death hellscape in his house given the opportunity i would maybe set that hellscape up for chris columbus though (laughs) i just like in a very hgtv kind of way could not get over like the hundreds of thousands of dollars of damage that he did to this like multi-million dollar colonial house oh yeah he spread tar on the basement stairs like you're gonna have to rebuild those stairs Whatever, they just flew, like, 300 kids to France. They could afford it. Well, and it's, it's like, a real big house. Yeah. There's a lot of house there. It's like it, a... It deserves it's like a, McMansion. a spot on McMansion hell. Yeah. It's yeah. true. So, I don't know how many times I've seen Home Alone, but in high school I took the same French teacher's class, like, for four consecutive years. Cool. I think. She had a copy of Home Alone 2 Lost in New York in French. No. (laughs) And we watched that probably twice a year every year. No. So I've spent a lot of time with that particular version of Home Alone, also directed by Chris Columbus. Yep, that was. I've seen that one once as well, for reasons unknown. That one's also just, if you want to suspend your disbelief even more... (laughs) <laughs> suspend your belief, suspend your disbelief. Yeah, suspend your disbelief. Home Alone 2. 
lost in New York. What a time that is. Yeah, that one that one is tough. The worst thing is that they just reuse every piece of material that they already used in Home Alone, the original. Yeah, literally. Literally. Like, the thing he does with the mannequin yep. or whatever in Home Alone, he does with the mannequin again in Home Alone too. I mean, in fairness, there's really only so many traps that you can set up with things laying around. Yeah. I mean, it's the same thing that they did in Ferris Bueller's Day Off, too. That's true. So, do do you see any parallels between the Chris Columbus work in Harry Potter and the Chris Columbus work in Home Alone? Besides the bad bad directing in general? (laughs) (laughs) I took note of five things. Tell me more. So first, I mean, this is maybe negated by your qualifier that we can't just say bad directing, but you can see the acting, which I said before, but like you can see them reading the script in their head. Yeah. You can see them running through the blocking and you can see them doing the thing. It's all, it's all preposterous. And I feel like I would love to know what the mood is like on set. Because I imagine that everybody just feels awkward and doesn't know each other well and doesn't know what they're doing. Like, it feels like a bad corporate icebreaker challenge. Or Chris Columbus makes them feel awkward. Yes, it is. Right? Mm -hmm. You know, like, you know what the rules of the game are, but you don't really know each other and you don't really know, like, how to interface. And so you're just trying to get through the thing. Right. Another thing is that he seems to like short scenes so the whole thing feels like a bunch of very short like it's back to that whole feeling of them being like video game stage setting scenes like they all it's so short and choppy yeah like no particular scene in either movie is long enough to like really settle into whatever is going on it almost feels like he is a product of an earlier time in filmmaking Mm. which is not correct right (laughs) because he's not right like home alone was his third movie (laughs) do you know he has two acting credits yes oh yes he was the man in the toy store he put himself in home alone (laughs) a big angry man in a car oh my god i did not know this is a complete tangent I did not know the majority of his career, so I didn't know that he did Rent. I didn't know he did The Night at the Museums. I didn't know he did Fantastic Four. But those he were he was not directing. He he was a producer. That's a little different. It's like mostly the same. No, it's not. He was director on Rent. Yes, that's true. How can you say that producers and directors are the same if, after all the classes that we sat through telling I us they were different? I don't actually mean it's the same. I just mean <sighs> that they let Chris Columbus too close to the source. Correct. Correct. They gave him too much creative control. Correct. <laughs> it's like, producers may not be doing the bulk of the tone setting, but they do set a tone. Right. Oh, I definitely found what we're going to watch next year, though. Oh, I'm so excited. Put it in the spreadsheet. I'm so excited. (laughs) It's going to play off of rom-com vacation. Oh, good. The other thing that I noticed is that in both movies, all of the kids across the board, regardless of their age, acted much younger and much cuter 
than their actual age or, like, what their age is supposed to be. Right. Which just makes me think that, like, either Chris Columbus is a huge creep or he just has no sense of, like, developmentally appropriate behavior for kids at various ages. I would say it's that. Right? Yeah. Like, he watching Dan Rad and Harry Potter is so tough because Harry's 11. Yep. And he's, you know, speaking up so sweetly at Hagrid with these big baby doll eyes. <laughs> he's got your slack. Um, with these big baby doll eyes, like he's five. Right. And, like, I work with children of both ages simultaneously. They don't act similarly enough that you could have an 11-year-old just batting his baby eyes at the world. Saying, like, oh, I'll go with you, wizard sir. Yeah. Yeah. It there it just like it, Harry would have acted differently than the average eleven year old, sure, because of like culture shock and like trauma, but he wouldn't have been a, a baby. Like all of the children in Chris Columbus movies are so infantilized. Like they're all at least like five to ten years younger in their portrayal than they are in their chronological age. Yep, that's correct. Yeah. It's just like if you're if because the other thing is that he like has built a career on working with kids and directing kids and making kids movies. And so if that's going to be your deal, like take a fucking child development course. Right. Right. Know a thing. (laughs) (laughs) You think? (laughs) Like knowing a thing about directing would also be helpful or like knowing a thing about acting would also be helpful. But like. Give me this thing. How do you think Chris Columbus got his first job? Like, who hired him? I don't know. And then who continued to hire him? Let's read Wikipedia. Um, Early life. (laughs) 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 So he was, his parents were an aluminum plant worker and a coal miner. Oh, he's a short man. He's of Italian and Czech descent. (laughs) <laughs> this is the part in Columbus where we just read you a website about Chris Columbus. <laughs> he graduated from JFK High School in Warren, Ohio, and then went on to study at New York University's film school. Oh, he went to school with Alec Baldwin. Um, okay, so here's where it gets interesting. Although he received a scholarship, he forgot to renew it and was forced to take a factory job to pay for schooling. While on shifts, he secretly worked on a 20-page screenplay, which one of his teachers would later use to help him get an agent. Columbus would later state the experience saved my life, noting that he was able to experience the terrifying reality I faced of having to live and work in that factory for the rest of my life in that town if I didn't make it. Wow. So then he went on to work for Steven Spielberg. He did Gremlins and then The Goonies. And then he wrote... Um, a couple episodes of some animated show in the 80s, and then he did some teen comedies, and then he went on and did other stuff. He sort of ascended quickly. <gasps> oh, I have a bad one. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Go. He wrote a rejected script for Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, in which Indy traveled to Africa and dueled a monkey prince. It was rejected because of too many mm. ner- negative African stereotypes. Yeah, that's not good. Oh, Chris Columbus. That's that's just not great. Oh, Chris Columbus. <laughs> 
Sorry. Anyway, I cut you off. I got alarmed. Well, I w- it actually transitions nicely because I was just going to say that to me, the douchiest thing about Chris Columbus is that in 1995, he founded his own production company, which he named 1492 Pictures. <laughs> like, my dude, do you understand the legacy that you are playing with here? But, you know, like, his name is Chris Columbus, and there's, like, another famous Chris Columbus. (laughs) And, like, I appreciate that the political climate in 1995, particularly around Christopher Columbus, the explorer, was slightly different than it is in these are modern times. But, like, my dude. Yikes. 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 That's just like a real douche move right there. Yeah. So another random similarity that I saw between the two movies is that in both of them, he allows small children to say the word ass. He does. Yeah. Because it really wasn't necessary to do that. But it's funny. Sure. Sure, sure, sure. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And then the last similarity between the two was the score. Because... Chris Columbus is a man who can only do one. (laughs) And there were multiple moments in this movie where the flutes or whatever the fuck, because I don't know music, of the score sounded similar enough to Harry Potter that the establishment shot Sexy Getting Ready song started playing in my head instead. Yes! (laughs) Oh my god. Yeah. Like, he's not even a fucking composer, so I don't totally understand how that happened. But apparently, like, the aesthetic or the personal brand or some fucking shit is just so tight that he managed to come out with two very similar scores. I mean, get you a guy who can do one. (laughs) I don't have anything else to say to that. do you want to say about home alone i had a lot of feelings i don't hate home alone yeah but you do hate chris columbus i do hate chris columbus and it like reeks of chris columbus yeah that's like home alone has its place in the world in 1990 yeah i mean you're only saying that because you're a 90s kid but whatever i am not a 90s kid don't even I was born in the 80s, thank you. (laughs) You can't see me, but if you could, I'd be doing the Spongebob meme. Uh Uh-huh, you've said that before on this podcast. (laughs) That's kind of become a thing in my household. Boy. (laughs) Um. (laughs) It's a lot to just take in there. Anyway, what I'm going, what I was saying is, Home Alone is fine. It's a thing. It's in the in 1990. It's a thing, and it's fine, right? <laughs> in 2001, doing Home Alone Harry Potter edition, it's not what anyone asked for. <laughs> like Chris Columbus did not evolve in any way. No, he didn't. You can see that if if you go through a lot of the titles on his list like oh yeah he goes he starts with fucking gremlins in 1984 he gets through the 90s with home alone and mrs doubtfire 
Yeah. And jingle all the way. Fuck that noise. Then he hits his Harry Potter time. Then he moves on to Night at the Museum and Fantastic Four. And then he does Percy Jackson. So, and then I'm not familiar with anything that came after 2014, but he did more shit and probably wasn't good. But he has not really directed anything in the past two years. Let's see. He last directed a movie called Pixels in 2015. Oh, I remember this. It tanked. I have never heard of it. It was the Adam Sandler video game movie that they had to get all this, like, all the rights from all the video game companies, and this was relevant because of that book. Oh! Ready Player One! One. And everyone was assuming that they were going to have to go through that same battle. Right. And Pixels tanked and didn't even, like, make the money back that they spent getting all the rights to all this crap, I think. Right. I I vaguely remember that part of it because you and I were rip shit because that was the first time that Ready Player One got rejected. Yeah. Or maybe not the first time, but, like, there had been a whole thing. Yeah. About how they they just got shot down again. But it's coming, guys. It's coming. It is coming. It's already on our spreadsheet for 2018. Mm -hmm. That will not be created by Chris Columbus. However, it is being made by Steven Spielberg, and that's also questionable. Which, in my mind, isn't any better. Yeah. The only thing that makes it somewhat better is that Steven Spielberg can manage a big-budget film. And Chris Columbus, by my read of the situation, has no management skills. (laughs) Or directing skills. Or life skills. (laughs) Right. Well, but it matters that he has no management skills since he's decided that his new career is to be a producer. Right, right. Are you just trying to tell me that you do know what producers do after all? I'm making a point. (sighs) I didn't say that was my point. I'm just making a point here. Uh Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. (laughs) Uh-huh. Guys, Kirstie knows things. I know. I know so many things. (laughs) No one appreciates all the things I know. Oh, boy. (laughs) I just want to share my earthly wisdom. (laughs) If you have your own (laughs) earthly wisdom about Chris Columbus movies. (laughs) Well played, well played. And would like to share them with us. Share it, share them. Uh, (laughs) Share your multiple wisdoms. Yeah, you can find us on the internet in some places. You can tweet to us at hatewatchwithus. You can send us an email at hatewatchwithus at gmail.com. You can visit our website, hate which hate hate which watch, <laughs> hate watch with us dot com, where you'll find Dumbledore, our receptionist. Yeah, Dumbledore. <laughs> Kirstie, where else can they find us? Um, we are also members of the Thought Bubble Audio Network, so you can find us at thoughtbubbleaudio.com. Uh, you can find them on them slash us on Twitter at ThoughtBubbleFM. If you are listening to us and enjoyed Chris Columbus Day, give us a oh, sure. review on iTunes. Give us a five-star rating. Maybe a yeah. four. Maybe even a three. I don't care. <laughs> Take some action. Do yeah, something. I mean, you can, you can be real with us. We'd, yeah. I, we'd like to rise in those rankings, but you can also tell us how you feel. Right. We don't, we don't got to inflate the market. <laughs> <laughs> We'll do that later. We'll make it a separate campaign. There you go. You can also do that on other platforms. Other platforms let you do ratings and shit. So, you know, anywhere you find podcasts, feel free to do that thing. Yeah. And subscribe and stuff. Great. Cool. We will see you next time. And uh, mark your calendars for next year's Columbus Day. Thanks for listening.
Bye. Bye. Like, are you satisfied with yourself, Chris Columbus?